0: First Chronicles, chapter 18, picking it up in verse 1. Now, after this, it came to pass that David attacked the Philistines, subdued them, took Gath and the towns from the hand of the Philistines. Let's pray again. Lord, that you would do your work in our hearts tonight. Through your word, Lord, that you would accomplish your purposes for our life. Father, that you would direct us and that we would know that we are safe in your arms. And Lord, that you would continue to guide our hearts and knit us towards you by your word. And we thank you for those serving, Lord, in the kingdom of God. Touch us once again in Jesus' name. Amen. It said after this, Came to pass. Now, what was the this? It was David bringing the Ark of the Covenant back. It's now in Jerusalem. It's in a tent. Last week we saw God telling David through the prophet that he was not allowed to build him a temple. Later on in Chronicles we learn why because David is a man of war and not of peace, and David. Uh, son Solomon will build that temple and as we will see David will start to prepare the building supplies and the warehouse to get it going Uh, now that's that's really exciting because when Solomon comes on the scene he literally is able to start building the temple and getting it done very quickly um, a similar thing is happening today in Israel. For the most part, not all of it, but there is a lot of the new temple already being set aside. Uh, so when Israel will be allowed, by the way, by Antichrist to rebuild that temple, uh, they have most of the uh, articles, the, uh, the pans and the lavers, and you can see that on display Uh, when you go with us to Israel, but it's exciting to know that it won't take them a long time to build that temple, and nor was it for Solomon. But as David is continuing, God is allowing him to defeat his enemies all around, and again, that is why Solomon is able to do what he does later on, because he has relative peace surrounding him. David, his father, is going to, for all intents purposes, wipe out all of the enemies surrounding Israel. And so it tells us right there in verse 1 that David attacked the Philistines. Notice he subdued them and he took Gath. Who was from Gath? A big old guy named Goliath. And actually, we're going to see a little bit more of his family tonight. And so he took Gath and its towns from the Philistines, and then he defeated Moab and the Moabites because David's servant had brought tribute. And David defeated Hadadezer, king of Zobah, as far as Hamath, and we'll get to this a little bit later, as he went to establish his power by the river Euphrates. God had told David basically the boundaries of Israel at that time, and it was as far as the river Euphrates. In fact, I asked that of my kids uh, today. Oh, is it today or the other day? Uh, on our devotion time, where was the, uh, the river Euphrates? I won't give their responses. And it's not the Mississippi. <laughs> It is in Iraq, modern-day Iraq right now. That is the border from the Mediterranean all the way to Iraq. That was the land that God had given the nation of Israel. And so David is going, and he is defeating these nations. He's doing exactly what God wants him to do. And so David took from him 1,000 chariots, 7,000 horsemen, and 20,000 foot soldiers, and David hamstrung all the chariot horses, except that he spared enough for them for about 100 chariots. David is smart here. He knows that he uh, doesn't want that army to come back, so he puts it down even further further. Verse 5 Now, when the Syrians of Damascus came to help Hadadezer, king of Zobah, David killed 22,000 of the Syrians. And so David put garrisons in Syria and Damascus, and the Syrians became David's servants and brought tribute. So the Lord preserved David wherever he went. And again, God is accomplishing his purposes through the life of David. And as long as David stays on that path, because we're going to get to chapter 20 tonight, where David goes off of the rails. I know no one in the room has any uh, concept of what that looks like, right, in your own life. But I want you to see, David, because as we continue through the life of David, God's grace and mercy is so abundant In this guy's life. He does some amazing things. And then he does some really boneheaded things. Anybody else in that category? You do some amazing things and then you do some. Okay. It's just me then. Well, that's what the Bible is for. The Bible is to declare unto us. Hey, there's people like Peter in the Bible. There's people that have failed. But as we will see today, God's grace and mercy, even looking at King David and his failures. Well, uh, David took, verse 7, the shields of gold that were on the servants of Hadadezer and brought them to Jerusalem. As far as Tibla and Chun and the cities of Hadadezer, David brought a large amount of bronze, notice, with which Solomon made the bronze sea and the pillars and the articles of bronze. So as God is allowing David to take the nations around and bring that buffer of peace, he is also allowing David to bring back the materials needed for building the temple. Is that not wonderful? David doesn't have to necessarily go out and bring the metal out of the ground. God is providing that for them. Like the nation of Israel, when they came into the land, remember God said, you're going to a land that has walled cities, it has houses, it has vineyards and olive groves already planted for you. You just have to go and acquire the land. Well, that's exactly what Solomon is going to do. Now, when Toh, king of Hamath, heard that David had defeated all of the armies of King Hadadezer of Zobet, he sent uh, Hadar, no, Hadaram, who who said that out? Thank you, Hadaram. I don't know why my brain just froze there. Hadaram, the, the son to King David, and greeted him and blessed him because he had fought against Hadadezer and defeated him. For Hadadezer had been at war with Toh and Hadaram, Brought with him, notice, all kinds of articles of gold, silver, and bronze. So King David also dedicated these things to the Lord of Yahweh, Jehovah God, along with the silver and gold that he had brought from these nations, from Edom and from Moab and from the people of Ammon, from the Philistines and from Amalek. Moreover, Abishai, the son of Zariah. Now, who doesn't want to have this guy, On your side. Are you ready for it? Abishai, the son of Zariah, killed 18,000 Edomites in the valley of salt. Himself. That's the guy you want to. I mean, you only need a few of those kind of guys around you. They'll be able to take it. He also put garrisons in Edom, and all of the Edomites became David's servants, and the Lord preserved David wherever he went. And so David reigned over Israel. And he administered judgment and justice to all of the people. Now, Joab, the son of Zariah, was over the army. Jehoshaphat was the recorder. Zadok, the son of Ahitib. And Amalek, the son of Abiathar, they were the priests. And Shavzah was the scribe. And Benaniah, the son of Jehoiada, was over the Cherethites, the Pelethites, and David's sons were the chief ministers on the king's side, and that's the entire government of David. Can I sign up for that? Do you see how little David's government is? It's a small government. The Bible teaches limited government. Remember on Sunday how we talked about how the Bible said that meat was bringing us joy? We talked about that. Here we have limited government. Know with me, Joab is the commander of the army. Jehoshaphat is the recorder. And then we've got Zadok. He is with Elimelech. Abimelech, I'm sorry, they were the head priests. Then we've got a scribe. We've got somebody that's going to write everything down. And then we got Benaniah. We'll see him later. He is in charge of special forces because that's what the cherethites and the pelethites were. I love this. I love the fact that God makes it so simple for us if we just look to his word for all things. Not just for spiritual, but also administrative. Boy, this is something we need to send to Washington. Chapter 19. Now, what happened after this? That Nahash, the king of the people of Ammon, died, and his son reigned in his stead. And David said, I will show kindness to Hanon, the son of Nahash, because his father showed me kindness. Very diplomatic. It's what you would do. And so David sent messengers to comfort him concerning his father. And David's servants went to Hanon in the land of the people of Ammon to, to comfort him. And after that, the priests, I'm sorry, the princes of the people of Ammon said to Hanon, Do you think that David really honors your father because he has sent comforters to you? Did his servants not come to you to? search and to overthrow and to spy out the land. So note with me that Hanon has advisors around him. And again, this is just a great uh, biblical principle. Be careful who your advisors are. Because as we will see, they will cause these advisors, giving Hanon bad advice is going to cause the death of twenty over 20,000 people. Because they're going to go against David. Apparently, they have not been reading the local news. I mean, would you not agree with me that David is known throughout all of the land of the conquest? Is, don't you know that he's got one guy that has wiped out 18,000 guys? I mean, that's got to be front page news. And yet these guys are giving very terrible advice very terrible. Uh, uh, oh, oh. A leader has to be very careful who he surrounds himself. It needs to be biblical. needs to be godly. And these guys say, look, D- why are you trusting in David? Well, because he's showing you kindness, <coughs> and he's got Ben there that can wipe out just everybody. Why would he come against you? He was fine with their father. Therefore, Hanon took David's servants. Now, these are ambassadors. They have diplomatic rights. He took his servants, shaved them, and cut off their garments in the middle at their buttocks. That's right. And sent them away. Now, When it says shave, in this time in the Middle East, and even a little bit today, the beard was something of free men wore. Slaves were shaven. Everybody got that? So those of you who are clean shaven, you're a slave. Have a beard, be a real man. Sorry. That's what the Bible says, just like last week with meat. We're learning these things. So a beard meant you were a free man. So what does Hanon do by doing this? He is saying, no, 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 you're not a free man anymore. And it was disgraceful. So much so, we're not even getting into the half-naked guys, how disgraceful that would have been. This is just the beard. So much so that David is going to react this way. Let's take a look at it. And then some went and told David about these men, and he sent to meet him because the men were greatly ashamed. They didn't even want to come back to Jerusalem. And David said, hey, you guys wait in Jericho until your beards have grown back. And then return. David was protecting and helping these guys. He didn't want to bring them in, and, and he was doing two things. He was helping these men, but he was also helping the nation of Israel because if these guys walked in, there would have immediately been a call for war because everyone would have seen, hey, you disrespected our ambassadors. And you know, guys, it's totally different today. Now, uh, beards and all of that, but in the Middle East, it's still a big deal and still important, on Duck Dynasty. Now, when the people of Ammon saw that he had made themselves a rep- a repulsive to David, now, think about this. You are living in, Am- in Ammon, in this area, and then you overhear <laughs> what your leader just did to David's men who they all know what David is capable of doing, and his armies, yes, they all know too. They, they read the, the news of the day. And so notice what they do. Hanon and the people of Ammon sent a, a thousand talents of silver to hire for themselves chariots and horsemen from Mesopotamia and from Syria and from Zobah. And so they hired for themselves... 32,000 chariots. Now we think this might be a copyist error because it'd be kind of hard to muscle 32,000. Um, so some think it's 3,000 but it d- uh, does it matter about your salvation? Yeah no, no but 32,000 would probably not be as accurate as about 3,000 and even 3,000 would be an immense chariot army. And so uh, they muscled this army. And the king of uh, Maok and his people who came and encamped before Medab and the people of Ammon gathered together from their city and came to the battle. Now, when David heard of it, he sent Joab and noticed all of the army and then the special forces after. That's the mighty men. That's Benaniah who can wipe out 18,000. It's like, why even bring the normal army? Because there's another guy who has taken out 20,000 on his own. I don't even know. How to, is, is there a guy next to him? 11,200, 11,300. Is, is his armor bearer right? In, uh, these are the things I think of. Then the, then the people of Ammon came out and put themselves in battle array before the gate of the city and the king who had come, and they came out into the field. Now, there is an immense army. We've We've got hired gunmen against King David and his mighty men. Now, when Joab saw the battle line and how it was arrayed against him before and behind, he chose some of Israel's best Man, Israel has an amazing fighting force even today. And he put them in battle array against the Syrians. And the rest of the people he put under the command of Abishai, his brother, and he set them in battle array against the people of Ammon. And then he said, if the Syrians are too strong for me, then you shall come help me. But if the people of Ammon are too strong for you, I'll come help you but be of good courage and let us be strong for our people and for the cities of our God. And may the Lord do what is good in his sight. There is tremendous wisdom in these two verses, verses 13 and 14. Number one, or, uh, uh, of 12 and 13, sorry. Notice he says, listen, you're going out, Abishai, and if they're strong, and it looks like that you're having a hard time, just wave me over and I'll come help you. And if it's going bad with me, I'll do the same thing, and then you come help me. As a believer in Christ, you cannot be a lone gunman. You need people around you when you are in the battle. And if the battle is going bad, you you need to learn how to say, are you ready for it? Let's do it. Help! Nothing wrong with that. But we think, oh, no, I got it. Then we come in on Sunday. How's it going? Fine. Everybody's fine. No one's fine. Everybody's got a lot of problems. When you're in the midst of a battle like this, Joab, who has his faults later on, says, look, the best thing to do is just protect each other. And then he says, in the midst of the battle, verse 13, be of good courage. Why? Because God is on our side. In 2020 right now, can I just say, be of good courage because God is on our side. Because 2021 is coming, and if it doesn't, woohoo! rapture of the church. Isn't that wonderful to be in the place that we are as believers? And my heart breaks for those in the world that don't have that assurance. They can't say, be of good courage. They don't know where they're going. And death terrifies them. He says, be of good courage. And let us be strong for our people and for the cities of our God. And may the Lord do what is right in His sight. You see, we're in the battle with the Lord, and the great statement of Joab is whatever God wants to do in the battle is up to Him. I'm just along for the ride. If He wants us to win, great. If He wants us to lose, great. But at least I got God on my side. If it goes bad, okay, He must have a plan. I don't like that. Do you? Who likes losing? But at least we got Jesus in the boat. Mm-hmm. Fourteen. And so Joab and the people who were with him drew near to the battle against the Syrians and they fled before him. And again, God promised that this would happen even when they went into the land when they first took it over there in Joshua. God said he was going to bring hornets. I love the God that we serve. God sent hornets through the land to disperse those. God will use whatever means. Be of good courage. And again, so Job and the people, they drew near, but they fled. And when the people of Ammon saw that the Syrians were fleeing, What do you think they did? They also fled before Abishai, his brother, and entered the city. And so Joab went to Jerusalem, never fired a shot. Who loves that kind of battle? They all arrayed. You're in the midst of the battle. You think it's going to go bad because of the enemy that's in front of you? You're ready to go. You're all pumped up. Wait, where are they going? God does that so many times in our life. He allows us to get ready, to be prepared, to see the enemy. (laughs) And then when we're trusting in him, shocking, isn't it? He lets them go. He doesn't even, well, now listen, there are a lot of times where the arrows come and you get beat up and you're coming out of the war in a sling and a black eye, but you made it out. And then there are other times where God just does the work and he pushes them. Out. Mm-hmm. 16, now when the Syrians saw that they had been defeated by Israel, they, they sent messengers and uh, brought the, uh, the Syrians who were beyond the river of uh, Shopak and the commander of Hadadezer's army went before them. And when it was told of David, he gathered all of Israel, crossed over the Jordan, came upon them and set up in battle array against them. And so David had set up in battle array against the Syrians, and they fought with him. And then the Syrians fled before Israel, and David killed 7,000 charioteers and 40,000 foot soldiers of the Syrians, and killed Shopek and the commander of the army. Now, again, uh, we think that, that that might be in verse 18 a copy of error, not 7,000, but 700 because of the last charioteers we saw may not be again. I only give that because it's free. And then, so the servants of Hadadezer saw that they were defeated by Israel. (laughs) What do you think they're going to do? They made peace with David and became his servants. And so the Syrians were not willing to help the people of Hammon anymore. Like, we're not going to have this alliance anymore. Chapter 20 and we'll kind of slow down here a little bit. Now what happened in the spring which tells us that these battles were happening last summer into the fall and in this time up until just recently in man's history you didn't fight in the winter time because you had horses, you had carts it would get bogged down in the mud so everybody just took the winter off. And so it happened in the spring of that year at the time when the kings go out to battle that Joab led out the armed forces and he ravaged the country of the people of Ammon and he came to besiege Raboth. But David stayed at Jerusalem and and Joab defeated Raboth and overthrew it. Anybody recognize that line there in the beginning of verse 1? Hopefully you do student of the Bible, it happened in the spring at the time when the kings go out to battle. Does that sound familiar to anybody? Well, if it does, let's turn over to 2 Samuel chapter 11. Turn with me to 2 Samuel chapter 11. Now, before we read, I I want you to see the grace of God here, because again, the chronicler does not tell us what happened when the kings went out to battle in the springtime. It does say that David stayed where? In Jerusalem. Now, normally the king would, like any other king, be it a Caesar or Alexander the Great, all kings would say that year at the time when the kings go out to battle that King David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel, and they destroyed the people of Ammon, and they besieged Rabat. So we're reading the same thing there. But David remained in Jerusalem. Alan Redpath says this, As I think of what happened of this, I am sure that it did not happen at all at once. This matter of Bathsheba was simply the climax of something that had been going on in the life of David for 20 years. David at this point is roughly 50 years old. (laughs) He's tired. He's been battling most of his life, starting out with Saul and then later on these battles. But it doesn't matter how old he was. His job was to go out and be the commander-in-chief of God's army. And so there he was, 50 years old, roughly, and he remains in Jerusalem. Now, it happened. Notice how that always happens, that phrase. It just happened. No, it didn't happen. And that's what Alan Redpath said. It didn't just happen. This was brewing in the life of David for a long time. It said one evening that David arose from his bed and walked on the roof of the king's house. And from the roof, he saw a woman bathing. And the woman was very beautiful to behold. And so David sent to inquire about the woman. And someone said, is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Elam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? Now last week we were reading about the mighty men of of David, his special forces. And Uriah the Hittite is on that list. So Uriah the Hittite is with Joab, and they are besieging Rabah. But David is stayed home. Excuse me. David is where he is not supposed to be. And the enemy, after you are in a place that you are not supposed to be, will bring an opportunity for you. Jonah is a perfect example of that. He said, Lord, I don't want to be a prophet anymore. I am a non-profit status. I'm out of here. And he goes down to where? He goes down to Joppa, and there he finds a ship. He goes onto the ship. He goes down, 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 down. He gets on a ship that is going in the opposite direction of where God had called him to go, which was Nineveh, the Assyrians. God wanted... Jonah to preach there. And listen, when you and I disobey the Lord like David, like Jonah, the devil will always have a ship or a woman on a roof. Amen? 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 That is life. That's real life. And it always happens like that phrase. It just happened to happen that way. Because the devil wants to ruin you and I, destroy our testimony like it did with David. And ultimately, you can turn back now. Ultimately, David uh, does do what he is not supposed to do. He ends up having relations with Bathsheba. She gets pregnant. David hatches this plan to bring Uriah back from the battlefield. He gets him liquored up a couple of times, and he says, hey, go, go home and be with your wife, lay with her. And Uriah, sadly, is more honorable than David, and he sleeps in the courtyard, and he tells David, listen, my men are on the battlefield, and they are not in their beds and having comfort and having Uh, the pleasure of their wives, therefore I will not do that. And so David sat down and he wrote a note to Joab. He sealed it and he handed it to to Uriah the Hittite. Uriah was holding his own death sentence. How do I know Uriah the Hittite's an honorable man? Because he never opened it. He took it to Joab. And I want you to think about this. Joab is, for the most part, fine up until that event. And then he loses respect for David. And now Joab is going to do things later on that probably Joab would not have done if not it had been and seen the hypocrisy of King David. And David allows Uriah the Hittite to die. David thinks he gets away with it. Months go by, and then a knock on the door. Oh, those prophets. Nathan shows up. And he gives them the story of the rich owner and the man next to him that he didn't have very much, but he had that one little lamb. And the rich man came and stole the lamb because he wanted to feed his party that was going on. And David got, remember that? like enraged, and he said that guy should pay four times more and he should die, which is not in the law. The four times, but not death. And then David sa- uh, "Then Nathan says to David, but you are that man. And God allows David to be broken. And David will go on to write amazing psalms and he will, he will chronicle his failure during that time. He will write such great psalms like, Create in me a clean heart, O Lord, and renew a right spirit within me, and do not take your Holy Spirit from me from that event. Something that is by far one of the most beautiful verses in all the Bible. But now we're back into Chronicles. Chronicles. And know with me that nothing is brought up about David's failure. Why is that? Well, it would seem that the chronicler is doing what the writer of the Hebrews does in Hebrews 11. When you read Hebrews 11 about the heroes of the faith, does it bring up their failures or does it look at their life through the lens of the blood of the Lamb of Jesus? It says righteous Lot in Hebrews 11. Now, once you do a little study, go home and read about Lot, there's no way that dude is righteous. He had relations with his two daughters. Edomites and the Moabites, come from them. Yet, the Bible looks through the lens of the blood of the Lamb and calls him righteous. And it would seem from the chronicler here that he looks through the lens of them being in captivity, them having their consequences and coming out of that. And now he declared to them King David once again because David had repented of his sins. That's why he said, create in me, Lord, a clean heart and renew a right spirit. I don't know about you, But I love that the chronicler doesn't bring up Bathsheba. And don't you know that everybody in Israel knows the story of Bathsheba, Uriah, and Joab? Oh, they know it. And yet when they read it here, they don't see that. They see the life of David, who is different. And he was different after he repented. Oh, his family was a hot mess. Problems, David was not the man that he was before. He wasn't a very good father. But God forgave him. And the chronicler here seems to do the same thing. Well, David took the king's crown, verse 2, from his head, and found it to weigh a talent of gold. And there were precious stones in it, and it was set on David's head. And he also brought out the spoils of the city in great abundance. And he brought out the people who were in it, and they put them to work with saws and iron picks and with axes. And so David did to all the cities of the people of Ammon, and David and all the people returned to Jerusalem. So rather than wiping out the people of Ammon, he put them to work and to tribute. Now what happened after that, that war broke, uh, broke out with Gezer, with the uh, Philistines, at which time, oh, these guys. <laughs> uh, Hushathite, notice with me, was one of the sons of the giant and they were subdued. So these giants, it seems like there were a lot of giants in and around the Philistines area. And again, there was war with the Philistines. And Elathon, the son of J.R., killed L- uh, Lame, the, broad, uh, the brother of Goliath, the Gittite, and the shaft of whose spear was like the weaver's beam. You ever wondered why David picked up five stones? When David was young and he fought Goliath, which I, I absolutely love that historical account. He grabs five smooth stones out of the brook. Why five? Because <laughs> Goliath had four other brothers. This is just one of those brothers. David was ready not only to take Goliath out, but his entire family. Are we ready when we do battle, to go all in like David? Well, here, David's men are handling the rest of Goliath's family. Yet again, there was war at Gath, and there was a man of great stature. See, again, what's going on in this area where a guy has 24 fingers and toes, six on one hand, six on his foot, and he was born a giant? it has got to be weird. And so when he defiled Israel, Jonathan, the son of Shemaiah, David's brother, killed him. And there were born to the giants in Gath, and they fell by the hand of David and by the hands of his servant. There is one important note about this, and, and it's the last verse. It said that David and then David's servants... When you've got a leader like David who can take out Goliath, it inspires your men to do the same thing. That's why David is such a powerful leader. Yes, wrong <laughs> in a lot of areas, but he's a good leader because he inspired his men. Listen, if David could take out, I don't know about you, but I look at David as some scrawny five foot six. And if you're five foot six, that's not scrawny. I'm just using an example. Maybe this, he's not really this huge buff guy that we think. Maybe he's just a normal-looking guy. And the guys around him are like, if the boss can take out Goliath, we can too. You see, when we go through, through things in our life, the Bible says that we become a testimony to other people. Look, they took that out. They were able to go through that in their life. It it inspires people around you to be able to go through the same battle. Amen? And to take out the same giants. David was a giant killer and he inspired other giant killers around him. That's good news. Well, read ahead next week. We'll see David... (laughs) Mess up really bad because David is going to number the children of Israel when God did not call him to do so. Read ahead. Lord willing, next week, 1 Chronicles chapter 21. Let's pray. Father, thank you again for your mighty hand upon our hearts, Lord, as we study the life of King David and the men, but the rest of his brothers. And how inspiring that can be for us to see people go through cancer, go through affliction, go through prodigals, and come out on the other side praising your name. We thank you, Lord, for your word. And we thank you that we can learn, even in the book of Chronicles, for your word, Lord. It's not outdated. It perfectly applies to our life even now. And so, Lord, thank you that you are on the throne and thank you for the examples of what to do and what not to do through the life of King David. We love you, Lord, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.